Wildwood Community Church exists to glorify God by connecting people to Christ, His worship, His community, and His mission. To contact us or for more information, see our website at wildwoodchurch.org. Well, good morning, Wildwood. It is just a true blessing and privilege to be able to gather and to worship with you here. I'm excited for the opportunity we have now to to look into God's Word, and uh, we're going to be continuing or really concluding a series that we began a number of weeks ago on Matthew chapters 8, 9, and 10, a series called Follow, where we have seen what it looks like for us to follow Christ. You know, 2,000 years ago when Jesus had his earthly ministry, uh, he went about the regions of Israel, and he invited people to follow him. And because Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever, we hear a similar call in our lives. We are called and invited to follow Jesus, to follow him in worship. We, we saw that in response to the miracles of Jesus, where people acknowledged his ability to forgive sins, his identity as the Son of God. We've seen that we've been invited to follow him into community, where Jesus didn't just stay at a distance from his followers, but he went right to Matthew's house and he had fellowship right there with otherwise fallen and broken people like you and me. And we've also seen that we've been invited to follow Jesus on mission. And we saw even last week that Jesus gave a commissioning message to his disciples. In the first half of chapter 10, we saw the first half of that sermon that Jesus preached where he gave them a charge and some encouragement as his followers went and told others about him. Well, today we're going to conclude this series by looking at the second half of that sermon that Jesus preached before his very first followers went out and invited others to come to Christ. So we're going to look at that today from Matthew chapter 10, verses 26 down through verse 42. But before we do that, I, I want to just acknowledge something, and, and that is a term that, that we understand as people. And that, that term is this, bandwagon fans. Y'all know what a bandwagon fan is? Uh, bandwagon fans are people who hop on the Sooner Schooner when the team is winning. But when the team experiences some adversity or loses, then they quickly hop off. They quickly take off the t-shirt. You know, I, I prepared to share this illustration this morning, and I realized as I was watching the game last night that I was eight points away from this message being that much more relevant. Um, <laughs> But as we, as we gather here, we're familiar with this concept in sports of a bandwagon fan, somebody that's with the team when they win and is away from them when they lose. And we're also familiar with this in politics. People will be for a candidate as long as that candidate is popular, but the beginning, the, the public sentiment begins to turn, they'll, they'll hop off that bandwagon. It's true in politics. It's true in, in actors and actresses and musicians. It's true in sports. And sadly, it's also true in our spiritual lives. It's possible for people today, as they were in the first century, to be for Jesus when it is popular, but bail on him at the first sign of adversity. Uh, Jesus knew this, and in his initial gathering with his followers, he knew that the crowds that gathered around him were fickle. Though there were Hundreds of people gathering around him, thousands that were flocking to him from all over the region of Galilee. He knew that they would disperse at the first sign of real loss. They would come to him and want to have miracles done. They would come to him when he was 
blessing the the fish and the loaves and feeding the 5,000. They would celebrate him at the big rally. But at the first time that real opposition came, the first time that there was some cost in following Christ, Jesus knew that people would bail. That was true in the first century, and sadly, it's also true today, right? It's true today that there are some that will stand up for Christ and and want to follow him when it's popular, but want to deny him or shrink back or recoil into themselves when it's not. might think about that as a, a middle school or a high school student that will come to the student ministry meeting and they'll sing praise and they're excited to be a part of it and they'll go to church camp and they'll do all of those things. But the first time they get into an environment where the people aren't around them aren't also following Christ, what will they do in that moment? It's not just for kids, it's for us adults too, right? We come to church on Sunday, we gather in our small group, we, we say amen, we carry our Bible, we, we give our money, but what happens when we in enter some venue in our life where following Jesus is a little costly, where our family is maybe not with us in that pursuit, or those in our workplace, or those in our our workout group, or the team that we're a part of. What happens when those around us aren't leaning in? Are we going to continue to follow Christ even in those settings, or are we going to be a bandwagon fan? Friends, that's really the question that Jesus is addressing in Matthew 10, 26 through 42, he's, he's really calling us to be true followers of him, not merely bandwagon fans. And that, I know, is, is your heart and desire, is to be a true follower of Christ. Uh, we want to be able to have it said of us like Charles Spurgeon says as he reads this passage, where he says, Lord, let me never blush to own thee in all companies. Work in me a bold spirit by thy Holy Spirit. Let me confess thy truth, whatever the spirit of the age may be. Uphold thy church when she is most despised. Obey thy precepts when they cost most dear, and glory in thy name when it is most reproached. Friends, that's our desire, isn't it? But how do we do that? How do we remain true to Christ even when it's challenging? Well, Jesus gives us some perspective in Matthew 10, 26 through 42 that will help us to be a true follower of him. So if you've got a Bible, open up to Matthew 10. We're going to look at those 16 verses today, beginning in verse 26. And as we do, we're going to see three things this morning that will encourage us from this passage to be a true follower of Jesus. The first thing that we're going to see is this. We're called to proclaim Jesus. We're called to proclaim Jesus. Now we see this in verses 26 through 33. Let me read those verses for us and then we'll back up and see more of what they mean. Jesus says, so have no fear of them for nothing is covered that will not be revealed or hidden that will not be known. What I tell you in the dark, say in the light and what you hear whispered, proclaim on the housetops. And do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? And not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. But even the hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not, therefore. You are of more value than many sparrows. So everyone who acknowledges me before men, I also will acknowledge before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, I also will deny before my Father who is in heaven. 
Now in these verses, we see this theme that we are to proclaim Jesus, regardless of the cost, that we are to boldly proclaim him. Now, where do we see that in this, this passage? Well, the first thing we need to do is we need to identify who them is. Jesus says, have no fear of them. And if this is your first Sunday with us or you missed last week, you might be wondering, who is the them? Well, that pronoun refers back to a group of people that Jesus described in the first part of chapter 10. A group of people who are in this world and are opposed to the people of God. A group of people that are hostile towards Jesus, therefore they are hostile towards his followers. They may exist inside of religious circles, they may want to scourge the followers of Christ inside the synagogue, they may be people inside of government who will haul Christians in and send them to jail or send them to their death, or they may even be people inside of your own families who have a different understanding of Christ and reject you as a result. Whatever the group is, Jesus says there are some them in this world who oppose Jesus, therefore they will oppose his followers. And Jesus writes here, and he, after identifying in the first part of chapter 10 that there will be some who will oppose the people of God, he now begins to encourage us that even in the face of that opposition, we are called to boldly proclaim Christ. Now, why? How can we boldly proclaim Jesus even in the face of opposition? Well, Jesus gives us some perspective on that. He says here in verse 26 and following, he says that right now there are things that we have learned from Jesus in the dark that will eventually come to light. That right now there are things that Jesus has whispered in our ears that he wants us to proclaim from the rooftops. Now, why would that be so? Well, the reason why Jesus says this is because there's the reality of who Jesus is will eventually be revealed to all the world. Eventually, one day, Jesus is going to return to this earth. And when he does, he will come in power and in glory, and all will understand and know who he is. But when he comes in that instant, he will be coming in judgment upon the earth. You and I, as followers of Jesus, know this. This is a reality that we have heard about in the dark places of the church. We we don't normally think of it in that way, but Jesus is saying more in private. There are things that we have heard in places like this. There are things that we have learned as we have read our scripture. These are things that have been whispered to us in Bible studies and in small groups and in church services and in times when we have read the scripture. We have become aware of things in private that ultimately, eventually, will be known by all people when Jesus returns to the earth. Knowing that reality is coming, should we not tell people about it while they still have time to do something about it? I mean, we know that reality is coming. We know the day is coming when Jesus will return. Why would we keep that information to ourselves? Jesus says, because What is known in darkness, what has been whispered, will eventually be shouted, will eventually be in the light. Jesus says, in light of that, tell people about it while they have time to respond. We're to boldly proclaim Christ, even in a world that might reject him. We're called to to let others know. Now, how can we overcome our fears? Jesus says, don't fear. Well, Somebody that wants to arrest us, somebody that wants to beat us, somebody that wants to embarrass us or mock us because of our faith, 
that feels like something to fear. How is it that we can be people who move past that? How can we be people who boldly proclaim Christ as true followers regardless of the cost? Jesus gives us some encouragement in that direction. He, he wants us to remember who they are. He wants us to remember who he is. And he wants us to remember who we are. And he gives in these verses just a, a, some encouragement in that direction. He wants us to remember who they are. He says the they, those who persecute the church, those who have rejected Jesus and therefore reject his followers, said those people have a temporary power. They seem to have a lot of influence, but Jesus says their influence is limited only to this era of life, only for a short time. They may be able to do something as awful and as bad as killing a follower of Christ, but at the moment that follower of Christ dies, their power is done. They have a limited power. Not only that, but, but these, the, the them, those that persecute, we need to remember that they're a fickle group. I mean, if we spend our lives trying to have the world like us, trying to have the world accept us or embrace us in some way, that's a fickle fight. It's a fight that we'll never win. They're the ones that will round up the followers of Christ eventually and, and, and reject him because they've rejected Jesus. I mean, followers of, of Jesus can join with those who don't know Christ and do a number of good things. We can partner together to bring hurricane relief in, in challenging areas and stand up against exploitation in different ways. But, but ultimately, eventually, even if we find some rhythm for a short time to partner with the world, eventually the world and Jesus are incompatible. There'll be an, a rejection eventually. Part of the ways we remember to, to be bold is we remember that, you know what? They are not as powerful as they seem. And they are a fickle group. But we need to remember not just that about them, but we need to remember something about God himself. Though they are, are fickle and though their power is temporary, our God is faithful and his power is eternal. It says that he's faithful, even just, he uses the example of sparrows and he says that, that the sparrows are these small little animals and yet God is sovereign and, and, and cares and knows about them. How much more so does God know and care about us? The world is fickle, they accept you one minute, they reject you the next, but our Heavenly Father is faithful forever. Not only that, the blessing that our Father is able to give is not temporary, but it's eternal. The only one who has the power to send someone to hell, the only one who has the power to save from the consequences of our sin is, is God himself. And so how much more so or should we be encouraged to lean into the one who is faithful and the one who is eternal rather than lean towards the ones who are fickle and who have temporary influence? Jesus says, remember that and, and lean towards your father, boldly proclaim Christ. But he goes even one step further, not just to remember something about them and not just remember something about him, but also to remember something about us. He basically says, remember you're someone who is greatly valued by God. You're someone that God cares for and loves. Our, our hairs on our head are even numbered. Now, for some of us in the room, it's easier to count the hairs on our head, isn't it? But for all of us, know that God knows who we are. 
He is our heavenly father. He cares for us. He provides for us. Knowing that doesn't not make more sense for us as children of God to lean into him and to trust him regardless of the cost rather than caving into the ways of the world, trying to have them like us for another day or another moment. Jesus says we're to boldly proclaim him regardless of the cost. These are some of the encouragement that reminds us why that makes sense. Now, here's the thing. Are you boldly proclaiming him? You know, right now around the world, there are followers of Christ who have to make a decision. If they go to church on this Sunday, they may be arrested. They may be thrown in jail. There there may be someone who detonates a bomb inside of their building that day because they are followers of Christ. There are people that have to make that kind of decision before they go to church. There are people that have to make a decision before they offer their friend or their family member to trust Christ, if that friend or family member would be, have the possibility of being persecuted or even killed for their faith. There, there are people around the world that have to make those kinds of decisions every day as they follow Jesus. And for us, it's a little different, isn't it? Let's be honest. I mean, we, there are challenges that we face. But I, I don't want us to just think that this has no application to us because I do think that for those of us in this room, sometimes we recoil from being bold in our pro- proclamation of Christ because we're intimidated by the world in some way. We don't know how we'll be received. We don't know how others will embrace us. And so we begin to try to manage their perception of us by keeping our cards to our chest and and not proclaiming Christ, not taking a stand for him, not sharing the gospel with those in need. Jesus reminds us that we should not let those feelings, those emotions, that fear keep us from reaching out. The things that we have learned in this place will eventually be known in every place. The things that have been whispered in our ear in Bible study will eventually be the reality that everyone will face. Why would we keep that information to ourselves? We're called to boldly proclaim Christ, even to the ends of the earth. You know, this is something that, that I struggle with. It's, it's something probably, you, I, I know as a pastor, um, sometimes I wonder how soon in a conversation should I let somebody know what I do? And, and you know, I, I should be really open and bold with that, but sometimes it's just like, you know, they're going to have this idea of what that means and whatever, but sometimes I use that as an excuse to, to just not be bold and, and natural and normal and use what I do vocationally as an opportunity to help point people to faith in Christ. I, I'm, I'm tempted to, to keep that information to myself. But when I read passages like this, it encourages me as a natural way of life to go ahead and reach out. This last week, I was interacting with somebody who was in a service industry who was helping me with something that I was working through. And I remember that we're, work, we're just having small talk as this thing is happening, and I see where this conversation is headed, and I'm, I'm thinking, I've, I've got, this is the moment where I'm going to have a chance to tell them what I do, and, and what am I going to do, what am I going to say? And I, I just say, you know, hey, I'm a pastor out at Wildwood, and I have the privilege of following Christ, and I'd love to have you come and follow Christ with us in our church. And I remember, I say that just so you know that I'm dealing with the same challenges that you are. And you're like, well, if I was able to say that I worked at the church, I would be more bold too. But here's the thing, all of us have the opportunity in the natural rhythm of our lives to be bold and proclaim Christ and not recoil from those opportunities, fearing the reaction that others might give us. Jesus says, that if we are a true follower of his, we will boldly proclaim him regardless of the cost. Second thing we see is this. We are to prioritize Jesus. 
We're to prioritize them. We see this in verses 34 through 39. Let me read these verses. It says this. It says, Do not think that I have come to bring peace on the earth. I have not come to bring peace but a sword. For I have come to set a man against his father and a daughter against her mother and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And a person's enemies will be those of his own household. Whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me, and whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Now, in these verses, we see Jesus encouraging us to prioritize him, not to prioritize him as as second or third, but to put him at the top, to put him at the center of all of our life, that nothing would have more influence over us than Jesus himself. That's what Jesus is encouraging us to do here. But he encourages us in this direction in really somewhat of a surprising way. And the surprising way that he encourages us is by saying that he did not come to bring peace to the earth, but a sword. Now, when you hear that, that sounds weird, doesn't it? I mean, because back in Isaiah's prophecy, there was a a pre-birth announcement given for Jesus. And a title was attributed to Jesus in that pre-birth announcement that called him the prince of what? Peace. And when Jesus is born, the angels show up to celebrate that birth, and what do they say? Peace on earth. So in what way does Jesus come not to bring peace but a sword? It seems very odd for us to see this. But here's how I think we reconcile those things. See, when when Jesus came to bring peace to the earth, and he is the prince of peace, ultimately what is happening is this. Jesus is coming to bring peace between God and man. He's providing a way through his death on the cross for our sins to be forgiven and for us to be reconciled to God forever. That's what Jesus has done. He's came to provide peace in that direction. And not only that, but eventually to establish a kingdom where the lion will lie down with the lamb, where there will be no more wars, where there will be no more disease and challenge and those kinds of things. And so Jesus came and it's accurate for him to be called the prince of peace in coming to bring peace to the earth. But Jesus knew also before those things fully matriculated that there would be some conflict that would come on the earth because of him. That different people would receive him and others would reject him. Even people inside of family units, some would receive him and some would reject him. And because of that, tension would develop in families over what they did with the person of Christ. Jesus knew this was coming. This is something that happened with families in the first century. And you know what? I think this is something that has happened even in families here, families that I I know of. I I know people who have come to faith in Christ and have gone through the expression of that faith through water baptism. And as they did that, their family members shook their heads and wondered what in the world they were doing. I know even one instance where someone looked at, their, at their, their son who had been baptized and said, you are no longer a part of this family because of your identity and connection with Christianity. I know other people who have, have seen family members take steps towards faith in Christ, and they said, you know what, it's okay for you to be maybe a part of that kind of, but don't get too deep. Don't let them influence your thinking too much. Stay on the outside. 
These are people right here in our very city. And you know what? As I look around this room, there are some of you in this room who have experienced very similar things. What Jesus says to us who are experiencing that kind of challenge is he says, I want you to prioritize me even over those earthly relationships that you hold dear. Don't put your father before me. Don't put your children before me. Have me at the top of the list. That's what Jesus says. And not only to be before your relationships with other people, but Jesus also says, have me even before your love of your own life. He does this by this call to pick up their cross. He says, and whoever does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Now, what was the cross? The cross was an execution device. You know, sometimes we, we think of taking up our cross and we apply it to any little challenge in our life. You know, it's like, yeah, I'm going to park in the north lot today. I'm going to pick up my cross and follow Jesus. That's my cross to bear. I'm going to park in the north lot, walk across the bridge. It's a long ways. You know, sometimes we think of it that way, right? But Jesus, when he talks about picking up our cross and following him, he's, he's talking about dying to ourselves, being willing to say that even our love of our own life will not precede our devotion and allegiance to Christ. Jesus is number one, and there is no 1A. He is at the center. He's at the top. Friends, have you prioritized Christ in that way? We're called to do that. You know, a great example of that is, is found in the example of uh, a missionary by the name of Jim Elliot. Back in the 20th century, uh, Jim Elliot was a missionary in South America, uh, taking the gospel of Jesus Christ to the Aka Indian, a, a very um, violent group that rejected all outsiders. But Jim and his team believed that they needed the good news of Jesus Christ, and so they, they went there to share the gospel. And sadly, when they landed on the shore and they began to interact with the Aka, that the Aka Indian actually killed Jim Elliott and a number of his teammates. An amazing part of that story, though, is that later on, the Aka tribe came to faith in Christ and actually have been used by God to spread the gospel to surrounding tribes in that region of Ecuador. But Jim Elliott made this comment about his life that I think is poignant for us today in light of this passage. He says, he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain that which he cannot lose. This is a famous quote that you've probably heard before, but I think it was famous even before Jim Elliott said it, because it sounds an awful lot like what Jesus said in this message to his followers. He says, whoever finds his life will lose it but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. In other words, there is a reward that comes from following Christ that far exceeds anything we can keep. We're going to give up this life anyway. What a privilege for us to prioritize Jesus even now and to follow him, boldly proclaiming him regardless of the cost. So what does it look like for you to prioritize him and follow him? Well, for some in this room, I think it, it can mean taking the step of professing your faith in Christ through water baptism. That you maybe have, have been reluctant to take that step in the past because you didn't want to go that public with your faith. 
because you were afraid that it might be embarrassing, you didn't know what your family might say, whatever it might be. But friends, maybe God is using this passage today to encourage you to go public with your faith. The thing that has happened in the dark, the thing that was whispered in your ear that you could publicly proclaim it by prioritizing Jesus even over your own feeling and comfort by expressing your testimony of faith in water baptism. Our our next baptism is in November, the second Sunday in November. You can sign up always at wildwoodchurch.org slash baptism. Maybe God is working in your life in that way. Maybe God is working in your your life to prioritize him even over your feelings of comfort to have you step out and share Christ with somebody that you think will reject you even as you do so. You might be willing to pray for them even in the face of opposition. You might be bold even in your interactions with your neighbors, whatever it might be. Friends, how will we prioritize Christ and keep him central? Jesus encourages us to do so. He encourages us to proclaim him boldly. But there's a third encouragement that he gives us in this passage. And that encouragement is this, to remember that as we reach out in Jesus' name, we are offering blessing. Now, this is an important thing for us to remember because when we think about the fact that the world has rejected Christ and we think about the fact that because they rejected Christ, they will oftentimes reject his followers. When we share Christ with people, we might be inviting persecution to come into their life. I know my experience a number of years ago, we took a group from Wildwood several summers in a row to minister to to Muslims in, in France. And I remember we would offer them the opportunity to trust Christ and to follow him. And I remember several people over there were trying to discourage us from doing that ministry because they said, don't you realize that if they embrace what you are offering them, that their life will become very, very hard, that their family will disown them and they will be cut off from many of the sources of temporal blessing in their life. And you know what? If we just end the story right there, We are not going to be encouraged to reach out to others because all we are doing is thinking about the challenges that might be there. Jesus concludes this message by reminding us of the blessing that comes when people embrace the message of Christ. Verses 40 to 42 lets us know that. It says, whoever receives you, Jesus said, receives me, and whoever receives me receives him who sent me. And the one who receives a prophet because he is a prophet will receive a prophet's reward. And the one who receives a righteous person because he is a righteous person will receive a righteous person's reward. And whoever gains one of these little ones, whoever gives one of these little ones even a cup of cold water because he is a disciple, truly I say to you, he will by no means lose his reward. What Jesus was saying was if those who embrace the message that we offer in Christ, those people will receive an incalculable blessing. I mean, think of the blessing that has come to your life because you embraced Christ. It's remarkable, isn't it? I mean, you went from someone who was wearing the weight of your own sin to somebody who was completely forgiven. When you share Christ with someone, regardless of what happens to their earthly life, you are, you are offering them the opportunity to be completely forgiven forever. What a blessing. When you talk to someone and you offer them salvation in Christ, you realize that you're offering them a reward that does not rust or rot or decay? Yes, they may have some temporal loss in their life. 
But what they gain in Christ is something that will never go away. Friends, we need to remember the blessing that we offer. And, you know, sometimes we just forget that. Sometimes we, we lose sight of the fact of this great blessing. And I, I want to just tell a story that maybe will help us cement this idea in our head. And I want you just to think for a moment about what was the worst job you ever had. Worst job you ever had. I mean, even, you know, small children in this room, there's a job that you've been given that you don't like, like taking out the trash or, or cleaning the bathroom or whatever it is. But all of us have had jobs. What was my worst job? My worst job that I ever had was selling broken fax machines. All right, when I was in my first year of seminary, um, I worked for a bartering company that nobody wanted to barter with. And so the owner of that company um, came up with an idea to, to help keep the company afloat, and he bought a bunch of really old, broken fax machines that then I was tasked with selling to different people for $350 a piece. Now that is a bad job, right? And so I would make these calls and try to convince people to buy this, and you know, the, the, the line that my, the owner of the company had given to me was, you know what, when they ask why they have to pay so much for this one when they could go and buy a brand new one at the store is because ours were made at a time when quality was more important. It's like, yeah, those were from the Korean War, right? We've got these really old broken fax machines. But I remember thinking, what a terrible job, day after day after day, trying to, to sell people something that, that really had no value. And you know what? Sometimes, if we're not careful, we can begin to think that evangelism is similar. We can have a similar attitude towards evangelism that thinks that, you know what, this is just something I got to do because I'm a Christian. It's just a duty, a responsibility, whatever. No, no, no. We're not just selling people something broken. We're not just inviting trouble into their life. We're not just checking a box. We're offering them an incredible blessing of being connected to the God who created them forever. Jesus wants us to know that we need to remember that blessing as we offer it to others. It'll help us to overcome this temptation to recoil into ourselves in a world that opposes Jesus. Friends, let's be bold. Let's reach out. Let's prioritize Jesus and offer his blessing to all around us. Father, thank you so much for the privilege of worshiping together and the, the, the privilege of, of following Jesus that we have as a church. And Father, I pray today that you would just help us to be a group of people that would stand true with Jesus in all things, that we would not be bandwagon fans, but we would be true followers of Christ. Father, I pray that you would give us that courage, you would give us that faith, and you would help us to follow you. In Jesus' name, amen.